podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Shanella D'Souza, a PhD student in mathematics and a 2022 recipient of the Irma M. Wyman CEW Scholarship, which provides support for women and underserved students in engineering, computer science, and related fields. Shanella, it's my honor to speak with you today. Welcome to the Strength in the Midst of Change podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us your story, including how you decided to come to U of M? Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for having me on your podcast today. So to start, my name is Shanella D'Souza. I'm currently a fourth year PhD student in math at U of M. And starting at the beginning of my story, I was born in India and I moved to Canada when I was four. So I've spent most of my life in Canada, in Toronto specifically. I always enjoyed teaching and I always enjoyed math. So I thought I would be a high school teacher. But while doing my undergraduate degree in math at the University of Toronto, I started to realize that I wanted to learn math at the graduate level and teach math at a college or university. And my professors were so amazing and so supportive of me, willing to help me and lend advice on applying to graduate school. At the same time, I knew graduate school was a big commitment. But what was so great about my undergraduate program was that it was interspersed with internships. So I was able to get in some industry experience before deciding if graduate school was the right next step for me. I also had the opportunity to be a teaching assistant for various math courses. So it was kind of the best of both worlds in helping me decide what to do next. And while I enjoyed the internships I did, I felt that teaching at the undergraduate level was something I would enjoy more. And so I started looking into graduate schools. And actually, I had always thought I'd stay in Canada for graduate school. I didn't know much about U.S. universities at the time, but after seeking advice from professors, from my friends, and doing research on my own, I found a lot of great math PhD programs in the U.S., and I applied. And it was really exciting when I got into U of M, but I wasn't sure if I would really move to the U.S. because I'm really close to my family, and moving was something that I wasn't sure I would do. But I am a big believer in taking advantage of opportunities. So I visited U of M for a recruitment weekend. And at the end of the weekend, I was convinced that it would be the right fit for me. The math department is really big and there are so many graduate students. The graduate students are very supportive of each other. And the environment amongst graduate students is positive, something I knew I would need to do a math PhD. And it also really helps that Ann Arbor is not too far from Toronto. It's only a five-hour drive away, and so that's how I ended up coming to U of M. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Sounds like it was a bit of an adventure of you getting here and uh, changing your perceptions about Canadian versus U.S. schools. What was it that stood out to you when you came to visit? So first of all, what stood out to me was Ann Arbor is a beautiful city. I really liked the math department. That was what stood out to me because it was really big. I knew there was wiggle room for if I wanted to change my research, which was at the time I didn't really know what I wanted to do research in. And so that was helpful. And I was also mainly looking at, could I see myself living here? Could I see myself being around the graduate students at U of M? 
in the math department and I saw myself doing that. And so that's sort of what changed my mind. I really was initially thinking of staying in Canada. What was your initial reaction when you found out that you were selected as an Irma M. Wyman scholarship recipient? Adjusting to graduate school was a really big challenge for me, both on an academic and mental level. And if you told me a few years ago I would get this scholarship, I wouldn't believe it. Irma M. Wyman has an incredible story, and being a recipient of her scholarship is a complete honor. I had read that her life was transformed by scholarship, and now mine has been too. And I got to hear about her story from her relatives at the awards ceremony. I'm just overall really grateful to the CEW Plus for choosing me as a scholarship recipient. Oh, we're so happy to have you as a part of our community. (laughs) Your work focuses on increasing participation from underrepresented groups in STEM. What steps would you include to those looking to make their areas of focus more inclusive, especially those that traditionally lack cultural and gender diversity? This is a really tough question, and I'm not sure that I have any particular steps, but I do have some suggestions. And I want to start by saying that the only way that things will become more inclusive is if an active effort is made toward inclusivity. And this sounds circular, but what I mean by this is taking extra time to reflect on if what we are doing is inclusive, is what we are doing representing every unique person. The extra time is something that we need to make place for in our busy lives. And once we reflect, we're able to see what can be improved. It's also important to remember that this won't be solved in a few tries. It's an ongoing trial and reflection. As an example, I worked with FEMS until this past December as an outreach coordinator. FEMS is a student organization that works to increase the interests of middle school and high school students, primarily those that identify as women in pursuing STEM careers. Part of my role was calling and emailing middle schools, high schools, and parents in underserved communities to recruit kids to participate in STEM-based events at U of M. And one part of being an outreach coordinator was making sure that every child had the means to apply. This meant speaking on the phone with teachers throughout the application period, extending the deadline, looking at hard copy applications for schools that don't have easy access to technology, and taking last minute applications because we shouldn't say no to a child who's really excited about the program just because the deadline had passed. It would have been easier to say the deadline had passed, but that's not practicing inclusivity in my opinion. And another suggestion I have in the of being more aware of how we can be inclusive is to talk to other people. Communication not only helps others see what ideas you have to offer, but you also gain new perspectives that you may not have seen before. So for another concrete example on reflection and communication, I'm currently an executive board member for U of M's Association for Women in Mathematics student chapter. And as part of our work, we hold events to bring together women and non-binary folks in mathematics. And in our meetings, we reflect and we talk about what went well in our meetings and how we can do even better next time. And so these are merely suggestions that have been working for me, and I'm happy to hear from others on what more I can do. And just one more thing I want to say on this note is, on the other hand, I do want to draw attention to the fact that there are places where I still struggle to try to make my areas of focus more inclusive in terms of cultural and gender diversity, because some things are just out of my control, given that I'm a graduate student. People in power at universities have more of an ability to increase cultural and gender diversity in classrooms. And I don't have this ability because, again, I'm a grad student. And so I sometimes struggle with this when I teach. But 
something that always helps me is communication, talking to other educators about issues around cultural and gender diversity in the classroom. Now, if you were to provide one piece of guidance that could really change the culture within your department to, like, let's say a dean or President Ono or to the provost, what would that piece of advice be? My recommendation to deans or other people in power is to try to listen to people who have less power at universities, for example. That's something I can speak on because I'm currently a student and a teacher. And the reason I recommend this is because, for example, graduate students, they currently are teaching small calculus classes. And this is for the example of math. And they know what's going on right now, you know, in 2023. And they're having first-hand experience. And this has changed a lot since 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so listening to people who have less power is really helpful because you get just a different opinion and a different perspective on what things could look like to build a more inclusive society. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You serve as a mentor to your students and to those that engage in the programs that you're active with. As a mentor, how do you pass on the value of equity to your students and others who are learning from you? So I try to pass on the value of equity by treating my students and others who I mentor with kindness. I try my best to listen and not judge what others have to say, and I really try to keep an open mind. So for example, if I'm teaching and I ask a question, I value participation regardless of if the answer was perfect or not. I appreciate people trying because it helps them grow. Even if it's a mistake, it helps them grow. In math, there's this unhealthy idea that the person who can answer the quickest and without mistakes is quote unquote the smartest. In the classroom, I challenge this idea and I ask for multiple answers, whether it is completely in the wrong direction or on the right path. So for instance, my friends who are math PhD students like me at U of M, we're wrong 99% of the time, but this is typical in the research process. It takes a lot of time to get a possible answer in the right direction to the problem we're studying. And so I try to remind my students that math is supposed to be about trying things, not necessarily always getting them right. And in this way, I try to create a judgment-free environment with my students so that they're comfortable with each other. And even though in this example, I was talking about a pre-calculus or a calculus class. I hope that the values of being free of judgment are carried outside of the classroom. So my hope is that the value of equity is passed on in this way. Yeah, that's great. I wish others could adopt that same mindset across the university because it would be so much healthier for the culture and climate overall at the mm -hmm. university. The pandemic has changed a lot of our work. And as you mentioned, 10, 20 years ago, calculus is different now. How has the pandemic changed how you approach your teaching and your leadership? The pandemic has made me much more compassionate in my approach to teaching and leadership. We all went through a really tough time during the pandemic, and some more than others. And for each student that walks into my classroom, I don't know what effect the pandemic has had on them. And even aside from the pandemic, I don't know what their personal struggles are. And these struggles might have been there even prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic has made me reflect much more on this. And I can't assume that they don't have any struggles because we all do, and some struggles we may not want to share. More so than ever, I've been asking my students to prioritize their health and their well-being before the math class I'm teaching. Of course, it's great to do well in a course, but not at the expense of your well-being. 
And in my past, I've definitely put school before my health, and my friends did too. We all forget when we are students that well-being should come first. It's something that often happens when you enter an academic environment, and it's something that needs to be stopped. After talking to other educators, I've realized that we need to really encourage students to prioritize what they need in their lives. It's going to be different for each student, but I want them to know that their well-being is more important to me than doing well in some quiz. But that being said, I know there are various pressures students go through, and as much as I can tell them to prioritize their health, they may not want to listen to me because of the power structure of things like exams, quizzes, applications to internships, applications to grad school, the list goes on. Our society, our schools, our workplaces, they're all built on ideas that grades, productivity, and whatnot are what we should be focusing on instead of our well-being and the well-being of others. And so the pandemic has really made me focus on educating students based on kindness and compassion rather than on competition. And I hope this has been on the mind of other educators and leaders in our society. Yeah, thank you. On the note of wellness, do you have any self-care practices that you could share with those listening? Yes. First of all, I definitely think it's important for people to take care of themselves. And I think a lot of us, myself included, tend to take on way too much. And it's important to step back and realize just how much we can take on. For example, I have begun to step down from some outreach roles because I have realized that I need to leave some time in my day for myself. It's not healthy to be constantly working on something, even though it may feel unproductive to not do anything. I always try to get enough sleep every night because I don't do well on less sleep. Another thing is, as part of each day, I take five minutes every morning to sit in my chair and I meditate before I begin working on research. And another self-care practice is that I usually tend to take Friday nights or Saturdays off from working and I spend time with my friends. And I'll work at most an hour or two on a Saturday if something from my role as a teacher or researcher needs to get done. And while I'm still in some outreach roles, stepping down from others has given me some extra time, such as a half hour before bed just to wind down and relax. I'll sometimes watch a show or I'll call my friends and family in this time, which has been really great. And I've been able to also make some more time for exercising and playing piano, which has been really fun. And I think I'm definitely still working on balance, but I've gotten a lot better at it. And I'm much happier than I was when I started my program. And I think self-care has played a huge role in this. Now, one question I love to hear just because I love new recommendations. Do you have any recommendations for a movie or a TV series that you really got hooked on to in the past year? So my recommendation is a show that a friend showed me on Amazon Prime, and it's called Undone. And it brings in topics such as mental health, indigenous cultures, and also values of family which all together they've done beautifully and is just a show that I would really recommend if you're able to watch it. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll definitely check it out. Chanel, it has been so great to talk to you. I'm so appreciative for your time and your willingness to participate in this podcast. Do you have any final comments or things you'd like to share? So one more thing that I'd like to leave listeners with is trying to practice kindness and compassion not only in an academic setting, but also non-academic. And I have discussed this in sort of my teaching, and it has really carried out in my personal life as well. And I think that kindness and compassion is something that works not only in outreach work, but also just in general life. 
Thank you so much. That's good words of wisdom for all of us to remember. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi.